0: First thing I want to do this morning is address something that I said about three weeks ago. It was brought out to me in our elders meeting this last week that I said something that I didn't mean to say the way I did, but it may have caused confusion, so i want to straighten that up. Um, in the explanation of Jesus coming from the Father in the flesh, I made this statement. Clearly, John points out to us that if we truly love the Father, then we must love whoever has been born of him. In other words, if we truly love the Father, we must love Jesus Christ, the Son, fully, completely, as he was created. That phrase, as he was created, could have been understood that that was a beginning of the time of Jesus. That is not what I intended. What I intended to say was that he was created in the flesh. That the essence of Jesus as God had always been since eternity past. So if that created any confusion, please forgive me and know that that's not what I intended. We know that Jesus has been in existence since eternity past and into eternity future. All right, so let me give you a brief map before we're going to be going this morning. We're going to be finishing up this epistle of 1 John. And I got to tell you, this has been, this has been a blessed week. It's been... At times, a struggle this week of how to close out this letter from John. Um, So bear with me as we go through this. We're going to be unpacking the final four verses. Verses 18 through 20 is a continuation of what we know. And the word know is in all capital letters in my notes. And I could scream it, but I don't want to do that. It literally means of what we can be sure of of what God has revealed to us then in verse 21 is a final call from John in a word of warning for our lives so we will and we will end this time with one final application from John from this absolutely marvelous book now let me ask you to turn to first John 5 beginning in verse 18 through 21 and if you're able Please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does, does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies. In the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. <clears throat> Please be seated. Now again this morning as we're at the end of this wonderful writing from God through John We saw last week, as well as having seen it over the past five months That the book of 1 John is a book of assurance For some of us, this may have been a great reminder and a refreshing of what we've known and what we've heard for some, it may be something brand new for you. In any event, God has certainly illuminated this truth to us that we can and do know and have the assurance that those, those who love God and have asked Jesus to be our Lord have eternal life. John goes on in this line of thought of knowing with these next three verses of what our lives are to look like as a result of that assurance that he provides for us. We're going to look first in 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, in the first part of verse 18, again, we're told of something that we know. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This truth is revealed throughout the New Testament. Let me elaborate on some satellite verses. And I'll warn you up front, there's there's a good list of these. I couldn't do this otherwise without going back to God's word. So if you want to turn to them, feel free to do. If you just want to read them on the wall behind me, our, our crack media team has this under control. Thank you all so much. So about sin, John says in 1 John 3, 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. John Piper, in one of his sermons on this particular subject, said this. The practice of sin is the evidence and confirmation that one is not born of God. Doing confirms being. Not practicing sin is the evidence and confirmation of being born again. Don't get me wrong. I am not and I never will say that I never sin. Or suggest that you never sin. In fact, God speaks very clearly that we do. In Romans 3.23, God says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all stumble in our lives. We all consider temptation. And when we consider it long enough, we may jump into the pit. See, I've never slipped and fallen into sin. I haven't. I'll consider the sin. I'll consider the consequences. I'll look at it and think, eh, and I jump in. I mean, that's what we do as as people. But God says, you won't practice sinning. And that's the lack of repentance. We see this spoken again in, in Romans 7 by Paul. When he's talking about his own circumstance. Beginning in verse 17. Of sin, he says, it is no longer I who do it, that is the sin, but sin that dwells within me. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. At that point, sounds pretty bad. Look what he says. Wretched man that I am he confronts his own humanity very very clearly and then he says he cries out who will deliver me from this body of death and I believe in the same breath he says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that's our hope as we turn back to him Romans 6, verses 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When we ask Jesus to be our Lord, we die to our practicing sin, living in that, because God continues to draw us to Himself into Christ. Romans 6 verses 12 through 14. He gives us the admonition. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. But present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law. But under grace. We know the promise that God made to us. Regarding our sin. From back in January. We heard this again earlier this morning. 1 John 1, 7 through 7-9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that is Jesus, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. John rightly points out that since we are born of God, we do not keep on sinning. We're not practicing sinning. That is, living in an unrepentant lifestyle. And it reveals what God does next. As we go back to first John 5, verse 18. He who is born of God, that is Jesus, protects him. That's us. And the evil one does not touch him. Here we're told that Jesus, he was born of God, protects us. He watches over us. He covers us. And he says the evil one will not touch us. That word touch is intended as more than this. It's a little touch. What he's talking about here, we are given the assurance that God through Jesus is watching over us and the evil one cannot cause complete spiritual loss in any of us who love God. He protects us. In 1 John 4, 4, Again, John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers provides the strength for us to resist temptation. We have that ability to resist, to not go on sinning and practicing that sin, As if we have no choice. Because brothers and sisters, we do have that choice through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. We are given very real instructions here on how to deal with temptation in James 4, 7. James 4, 7 is part of a passage on spiritual warfare. And in verse 7, James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So our first step is to submit ourselves to God. We literally put ourselves under that grace umbrella that he provides for us. That's submitting to God, following him, working in his commandments. Then he says, resist the devil, and he will flee. So how do we resist? Well, we resist the same way that Jesus resisted in his wilderness experience and the three temptations that Satan brought to him. We see in Matthew 4, verses 10 and 11, Jesus resisting. It says, Then Jesus said to him, that is Satan, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. With his words, he resisted. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. See, this is how Scripture tells us to resist our enemy. Through the Word of God, through the spoken Word of God, we resist the enemy. And what happens? (coughs) He flees. It doesn't say he's going to fight back against it. Scripture tells us very clearly that Satan will flee. Now, he doesn't tell us how long he's going to be gone or how far he goes. He may just back up a step and come back 30 seconds later. But we resist again, and again he flees. He doesn't have a choice. We do come under temptation. We do come under trials. But the enemy cannot destroy us. God, in his word says, he protects us. Ultimately, Jesus protects us eternally. Now, moving on to 1 John five nineteen, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The first part of this verse is a statement of what we saw last week in the assurance that God gives us in who we are in Christ Jesus. Okay, I left out the word assurance. We saw last week in the assurance that God gives us. I knew that sentence didn't make sense. So because of the assurance he gives us, we know that we have eternal life through Jesus for eternity. If we consider the entire verse here, verse 19, John points out in very clear contrast in the first part of the verse. We know that we're from God. We can be sure, have no doubt of that. The second part of the verse, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. While we belong to God, we live in a world that is in the power of Satan. How are we to belong to one and live in the other? That could be a dilemma short of Jesus Christ. And it's only through Jesus Christ as our Lord that we trust him. We live in the world, but not of the world. We don't practice the things that the world says is good to practice. We do not give in to the temptation, ultimately, to not trust in God. John reminds us again of what he said in 1 John 2.16 about the state of the world, that the world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 2.15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is... In the world and the world is passing away with all of its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever the temptations from the world that we are to resist include clearly the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions we see that this is not from the father but from Satan himself as he as he tries to tempt us Away from God. In reality. These are the same three ways. That he tempted Adam and Eve. And Jesus in the wilderness. To look back. At what Adam and Eve went through. In Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw. That the tree was good for food. That it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired. To make one wise. She took its fruit. And ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The temptations were lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Adam and Eve did not resist temptation but chose to sin against God and the result, we live in a fallen world today. But, The Son of God was also tempted in these three ways by Satan. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Then Satan came to tempt him. We look in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So the temptations again were the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, Jesus resisted every temptation and he never sinned so that we could be redeemed by his life his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven where he sits on the right side of the throne of God as our mediator, as our savior. What was the result of his resisting? We see in Matthew 4, 11, Then the devil left him. The devil left as the result. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That's how we resist. Let's consider again what John said in this epistle, 1 John 2 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is fading. The things of the world that impact our lives as believers. The things of the world are passing away along with its desires. I thought this. You probably will think this also. Hurry up. (laughs) We would like for those to be gone. And they will be in time. They will be. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what he called us to do once again the assurance that is given to us as followers of Jesus Christ is this first John 5 19 we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one he gives us additional assurances from God as we move on to verse 20 of 1st John 5 we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Four points from this verse. First of all, John once again points to the all-important fact of the incarnation of Jesus when he said, we know that the Son of God is, has come. Now keep in mind, that's not just a past tense thing, something that happened over 2,000 years ago. But because he has come, it is an active and present reality that Jesus is a part of our lives, not just something from the past. Secondly, John points out again that Jesus has given us understanding through the Holy Spirit who leads us to the understanding of the truth of God's Word. He's given us that understanding. Third, we are in Him who is true. As believers of Jesus Christ, we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. And then fourth, we're given a gracious act and a gift from God that we are allowed, first of all, to know Him and to have eternal life. That's a gift from God. Now, the other epistles in the New Testament typically end with a final greeting, a doxology, or a benediction, a word of encouragement to those receiving this le- these letters. John says in the last verse, 1 John 5.21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. See, John ends this letter with a commandment. One more point of this is what you're to do in your life. Let's look at this. He refers to us, first of all, as little children. Now, Some people might read that as talking down to, belittling. But I don't believe that's what John is doing. It's a a statement, it's a phrase of loving concern. It's a pastoral, fatherly, loving phrase that casts his cares upon the recipients of this statement. Not only the first century church, but us today at Cross Point Fellowship. One of true care and love. And he says, keep yourselves from idols. Why why follow such a full and excellent letter of assurance that we have in the eternal life provided by the Father through Jesus Christ with this statement? Because this statement is a gentle but yet powerful reminder of what could happen if we turn to anything in the world other than Jesus, other than the Father. If we turn to anything else in the world to trust obey revere or follow ultimately to keep from worshipping anyone or anything other than God himself that is what John is ending this letter with in fact paul gives us a very clear instruction of how we are to battle idolatry, in 1 Corinthians ten fourteen, he gives us something that maybe you hadn't seen before, maybe you hadn't thought about it, but this is an absolute battle plan of God's. And in 1 Corinthians ten fourteen, he says, "Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry." That's a battle plan, folks. We tend to think the only battle plan we have is to stand firm. We see that in in Ephesians 6. We're to stand firm. Except when it involves idolatry. We're to run. We're to flee. We're to get away from it. We are to flee anything that we've struggled with in the past that's become bigger than our relationship with God. We're to flee those things. That's called idolatry. Or we're to flee anything that could become more important to us than the relationship with God. We're to flee for that's idolatry. our application for the morning. I thought long and hard this week about how I could close out this study of the book of 1 John and this fifth chapter. And I wasn't getting very successful in this. I mean, I tried a number of things. that just didn't work. And then God showed me something in the ESV study Bible. The ESV study Bible summarizes The theme of 1 John to provide application much better than anything I could do. So let me read this. In 1 John, the author calls readers back to three basics of Christian life. Three basics of Christian life. One, true doctrine. Because God is light, Christ followers overcome evildoers who seek to subvert them doctrine secondly is obedient living the one who lives in and among them that is Jesus is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist now in the world we're to live in obedient living and then third we're to have a fervent devotion to God to believe in the Son in the name of the Son of God is to know the assurance of of eternal life. For this final passage of John and from the entire book, to summarize our application, God calls us to understand true doctrine, to live in obedience to God and to display fervent devotion to the one true God and to Jesus Christ, His Son, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit who abides in us as believers. Join me in prayer.